I'm going to invite you right now to reach into that bulletin, pull out that insert, and on that insert, on the back side of it, you're going to find what we call the MPG. If you're new to, uh, to Mac or maybe live streaming for the first time, you can actually get it on the, web, uh, on the website and use it even if you're live streaming at home. It's, it's basically a way to take the sermon a little bit further down the road. We believe that God's Word is so powerful. It's not just for today. It's for all of life. And sometimes that means practicing it and applying it in certain ways for a couple of days so that it actually becomes a way that we eat, drink, and, and, and sleep the kingdom of God. And so the M is for memorize, the P is for prayer, there's something to memorize, there's a prayer to pray this week, and then the G is for the glorify, there are the practical ways that you can take what we're talking about today and, and, and make it a part of the way that you live every day in the kingdom of God. On the flip side of that is a fill in the blank for the sermon, out, the sermon outline for today. You can use it as we go through the message this morning and if there's some things that you want to check out later on or some notes that you want to remember, there's plenty of room for you to write that. And knowing that you know today may be the first time that you're at Mac or maybe it's the first time you're live streaming, I want to introduce myself. My name is Mark Absher. I'm one of the, uh, the ministers on staff here at Mac. I'm really excited about our church family and the kinds of things that we're doing in the community and the kinds of things that we're doing to make disciples of Jesus of Nazareth in San Antonio. And if you're visiting with us and maybe you have uh, a desire to find out more about us or maybe you'd like to know how you become a disciple of Jesus, how you become a Christian, or how you become just a part of our church family, we'll make it very, very simple on you. You can fill out a card at the visitor's booth out on the sidewalk there by the parking lot, or you can come down to the front at the end of the assembly this morning, and I'll be down front and just come up and say, Mark, I want to be a member at Mac. How do I do it? And we'll talk about that. Send us an email, or you may run into somebody that has a, like a little nameplate on their shirt or their jacket that says shepherd or ministry staff. Uh, go up to one of them, introduce yourself, say, I'd like to become a member at Mac, and they would be glad to answer any questions that you have. You know, um, many of you who know me and know me well know that uh, this last year I turned the big 6-0, 60 years of age. And um, uh, all my life I've been super, super healthy, I've never had to take any medications of any kind. But this past year, uh, I was discovered, I was diagnosed with having a little high blood pressure. In fact, long story short, uh, I ended up at an urgent care facility. Urgent care does not mean relaxed care or tranquil care, does it? I mean, if you know me, you know that I'm afraid of no human being. But those human beings have a white coat and a stethoscope around their neck. They make me just a tad bit nervous. I mean, that white coat anxiety is a real thing. And so I go into the urgent care facility, and I'm put into a waiting room. And guess what I'm doing in the waiting room? Waiting. I'm waiting. I got high blood pressure, but I'm being made to wait. Well, it wasn't really all that long. It seemed like an eternity. But they call my name, and a, a real sweet nurse takes me to an examination room, says, hey, um, go in there, the doctor, you know, and sit down. The doctor will be with you in a couple of minutes. And guess what I'm doing in this examination room? Waiting. I'm waiting. I got high blood pressure, and I'm being made to wait. Well, it probably wasn't really all that long when in comes the doctor, really, really nice lady, and she begins to ask me some questions, you know, the beginning preliminary questions. She gets like one or two in, and I go, doc, doc. 
I, you know, I, I really appreciate you asking all the questions, but I got a question of my own before we go any further. And here's my question. Do you gig them or do you hook them? Before you touch my high blood pressure, I want to know where your loyalties lie. Well, you, you know me well enough to know that that did not happen. And the reason for that is because in that crisis, you know, that, that moment of, of uh, you know, urgency, I could have cared less who she rooted for on Saturdays. What I needed was her medical expertise. What I needed was what she had dedicated her life to. You know, uh, when you're in a situation like that, and it doesn't have to be medical, I mean, it could be financial, it could be relational, whatever, but when you find yourself in a crisis, there's always a question or two questions that comes up. And one of the questions is this, you know, can you help? Can you make it better? Are you going to be able to help me out here? And so, you know, with all of the stuff that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks and all the things that we've been through over the last couple of years, it just seems to me that we are living in the high blood pressure states of America and we are living in the state of crisis. I mean, would it be fair to say that our world has been characterized more by turmoil than tranquility? than urgency more so than relaxed and calmness i mean whenever people get together and they begin talking about you know the state of affairs and the state of their life and what's happening with the economy and all of the other things that we worry about at some point in that conversation somebody's going to ask the question can it get better when is it going to get better who can make it get better now the good news for everyone who is living in a crisis of any kind and of every kind, is that Christ is everywhere there is a body of Christ, that is, the church. And the reason that it's good news for anybody in a crisis that there is Christ present wherever there is a church is because of these four words. As a church, we have a what? Mission. In fact, let's say that together. We have a mission. Let's say it again. We have a mission. And one of the earliest places that we see that in the Christian scriptures is in what Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew chapter 6 that, that Xavier read just a couple of minutes ago. So Jesus is with his disciples. He's talking to them about what life as a disciple looks like on planet earth when God is reigning in their life. And one of the things that he says is that, you know, this is how you're supposed to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, or holy, or special, set apart, is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, where? On earth as it is in heaven. Now, what is the kingdom of God? That's something at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry is he's laying out what it means to be his disciple. He's calling everybody to follow him and to follow him and to follow him. And this is what it means to follow him. You pray this kind of prayer. So what is the kingdom of God? Well, you know, for a lot of people, the kingdom of God represents, you know, where you go. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. It's where you go when you die. And it's that you're going to go to the place where God is sovereign and God is king. But it's, but it's so much more than that. It's about God ruling creation. He is king over his kingdom. It's what creation is to look like. It's what human beings are to look like when God has his way with their life. 
It's God's dream for the world, a world that is defined by love and peace and healing and gentleness and kindness and justice. In other words, what the world and people and communities and workplaces and schools and neighborhoods look like when the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the seas. That's the kingdom of God. And Jesus is instructing us and teaching us, this is how you pray every day. When you're praying to God, this should be a part of your prayer, that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Which means that specifically for us, we pray that God's will be done at the MacArthur Park Church of Christ as it is done in heaven. That it is done in San Antonio as it is in heaven. That God's will be done at my job and with my job as it is in heaven. In my home, my relationships as it is in heaven. In the boardrooms and the back rooms as it is in heaven. Lunch rooms and locker rooms as it is in heaven. In my neighborhood as it is in heaven. That's what we pray. God's will be done. Now, we are not praying that God do all the work because there's nothing for us to do or that He doesn't expect us to do anything. Now next week I'm going to talk about more specifically how God teams with us in the day that we live in, the place that we live in, to spread the gospel and, and to, to reach out with, with the good news of Jesus of Nazareth. But I want you to think about this. Jesus is getting ready to leave the earth He's died on the cross. He's been buried for three days. On the third day, on the first day of the week, He resurrects to newness of life. He's getting ready to ascend into heaven. And He's gathered His followers, His most intimate followers around Him. And He instructs them that they're to go into the world and to make a difference in the way that they make disciples of all people by baptizing them and teaching them to obey all things that He has taught them. In other words, John chapter 20, verse 21, I am, as the Father has sent me into the world, Jesus says, I am sending you. Now, he's not just talking to these original disciples. Do you remember, you know, and Xavier read it just a couple of minutes ago, the first chapter of Acts. How the book of Acts begins. Now, a guy by the name of Luke is writing Acts. It's actually the second volume. The Gospel of Luke is the first volume of his writing. And he describes that first volume, Luke, in the first two verses of Acts 1, the second volume. He says, I wrote about all that Jesus, what? All that Jesus began, not finished, but all he began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. And you know, as you have read the book of Acts, that Acts, the, the rest of the book of Acts is a description of how the Jesus followers went into the known world, bringing healing to a hurting world through their ministry and their message. In other words, the early church understood that they were continuing what Jesus began. That's our mission today as well. Our mission is to continue what Jesus began. Simply put, it looks like this. We live, speak, and do as Jesus lived, spoke, and did. Let's say that together. It's kind of a tongue twister, but we'll do it slowly. But let's say it together. It's our mission. This is how, how we go forward in mission as a church. Let's say it together. We live, speak, and do 
as Jesus lived, spoke, and did. So if you are a disciple of Jesus, you have patterned your life around Jesus, then something really special. I mean, every morning you wake up, you wake up with a sense of significance and ministry and mission. You wake up every morning thinking about how you can bring the kingdom of God to bear on planet Earth. How is it on this day that God is king of my life, His Spirit lives inside of me, I'm pattering my life as a disciple to follow in the footsteps of Jesus as He he lived and spoke and did. I'm, I'm doing all of that as well. I wake up every morning wondering how I can work to displace the kingdoms of of darkness and of hatred and of poverty and justice, cruelty and bondages and addictions that are found all over the place and are afflicting people all around us. How do I bring the kingdom of God and the gospel and the good news as a light into that kind of darkness? And why am I doing it? Because Jesus taught me to pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is where? Every day, I am waking up, and you are waking up and wondering, what piece of heaven, of God's presence, can I bring and share with the people in the world around me? So what did it look like to live and speak and do as Jesus lived, spoke, and did? How do we, as a church, as a disciple of Jesus, as a community of faith, as the body of Christ, how do we continue the work that Jesus began. Well, I want to give you six things to think about this week and to pray about this week. There's a lot more than that, but these six should, get, should suffice to give us an idea and a direction of the kingdom of God on planet Earth today. The first is this. Why did Jesus come? To bring people back to the Father. Jesus came to return that which is lost. I mean, one day he's going through Jericho. And there is this little, short, sawed-off, social misfit, considered a traitor, persona non grata, by the name of Zacchaeus. He's a chief tax collector. He's considered, you know, an untouchable to the Jewish people because he's working with the Romans and the oppressors. But this guy has heard so much about Jesus, and he's so enthralled by the message and the opportunity that Jesus may present to him of all people that even though Jesus is passing through and he can't see him, he's not going to lose the moment. He's not going to lose the momentum. And believe me, there are people that we run into every day that do not, who do not want to miss the chance to figure out who Jesus is if we have eyes to see him. And this cat decides, I'm not going to miss this opportunity. I'm going to climb up into a sycamore fig tree. And as Jesus is going by, he sees this really, really rich guy in a tree. It would be like you know, walking by and seeing, for you guys down here, Justin Bieber sitting in a tree. You, know, you, just, you don't walk by that and just say, well, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. No, it stopped, and it, it, it captivated Jesus' attention. And he said, come down, I'm going to eat with you. And when he said, I'm going to eat with you, it just got all the other people that you know, thought that they were in the in crowd, got them to muttering and to murmuring. I mean, they're muttering under their breath. He is going to eat with Zacchaeus? What in the world? I mean, they do not debate. They, they have no, in fact, they are in total agreement with Jesus that Zacchaeus is lost. That this is a guy that doesn't have a chance of heaven. 
that he does not have a chance at the kingdom of God. And Jesus knows their hearts, and he goes anyway. And he eats with them, and he spends time, and he, there's a backstory there that we don't know about. But he spends time with Zacchaeus, and at the end of it, Zacchaeus, that big, gigantic, God-shaped hole that he has in his heart has been filled by God and the good news. Hallelujah, right? Everybody should be happy, but people are muttering. And Zacchaeus stands up and says to Jesus, Oh, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that this has happened. And if I've wronged anybody, if I've done anyone wrong, I'm just going to pay it back and pay it back and pay it back and pay it back. And Jesus says, Oh, you beautiful Zacchaeus. Salvation has come to this house. And then he says, the Son of Man, and this is not to Zacchaeus, but to all of those that are murmuring. He said, why would he do this? He says, the Son of Man, which is a way of referring to himself, came to seek and to save the what? Lost. When something is lost, it means it's not in the right presence. When something is found, when it's nearby, when it's where it should be, it's in the presence of where it ought to be, right? If something is lost, it's not where it's supposed to be. And one of the reasons that Jesus came is that he understands full well that human beings are lost, that they are not where they are supposed to be, they are not what they are supposed to be, and that he becomes the bridge, the message, the way, the opportunity, the open door for these lost folk, these lost human beings, to go back to where they belong, to the presence of the Father. Why did Jesus come? He he came to bring people back to the Father. But there's a second reason that Jesus came, and that is to destroy the works of the devil. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, John, who is one of Jesus' best friends, knew him you know, from the beginning of his ministry and then, you know, towards the end of the first century, John is probably in his 90s and he's writing to the church and as he's describing Jesus, this is one of the things that just stands out. He says, the reason the Son of God, Jesus, appeared was to destroy the devil's work. You know, one of the things that really kind of sets us apart is that we believe that there are evil forces at work in the world evil is real we believe in a malevolent personal being that has a heart full of hate and a mouth full of lies that is bent on leading creation and creatures away from god and not only to lead them away from god but to enslave them and to put them into bondage to all kinds of things that trap and and enslave people to things that are killing them, and not just killing them in the present life, but will destroy them in the age to come. There are evil forces at work in the world, and we, as the people of God, identify the ways that evil has trapped and enslaved and addicted and put people into bondage. And by God and through God and with God, we work to liberate them from the things that are destroying them so that in their lostness they become foundness and in being outside of the presence of God, they are in the presence of God and being in the presence of God, they begin to flourish and to thrive and to grow as the human beings they were always meant to be. 
there's a third thing. We share good news. And that's, that's more difficult. I mean, we think good news, everybody wants to hear good news. Well, not really. Have you ever seen a, a, a news agency or a newspaper or even a magazine that made it really big because they were peddling good news? I mean, if we don't hear you know, the, 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 the percentage that we need every day of bad news, of car wrecks and of deaths and this and that and who cheated on who and all these guys, I mean, we, we don't even turn on the news. I mean, that sounds so horrible of us, doesn't it? But when you think about it, Listen, good news does not sell. Bad news does. And that's why there's so much bad news. And the world is just filled with bad, bad news. But we are peddlers and traffickers of good news. Of life-changing news. The news that there's a love that has come near. Not, not a, a, a love that you know just thinks that we're the cutest things ever but a love that has come and gotten its hands dirty and died on the cross and went to the place that presumably our sins would send us and took that debt and took that guilt and paid injustice, paid injustice for our crimes in order for us to have a chance, to have an opportunity, to have a moment in which before us we see a life that is marked with significance, that is marked with, with, with a peace that passes understanding and inexpressible joy regardless of what comes, of a power and a clean conscience that allows us to sleep at night. We have good news to share. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 4, as he's describing his ministry, he says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Oh, that we would use that kind of language. That it's not, I'll share the good news if I'm comfortable. Or that I'm going to share the good news if, you know, I'm asked. Jesus says, and there are people that are clamoring after him to do healings and feedings and all these kinds of things. And he says, I must share good news. The good news of the kingdom of God. That this is what the world looks like when God has His way with the world. When the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the seas. That it's good news to the blessing of all humanity. We share share good news, not bad news. We are the recipients of grace. We have received a gift, not just any gift, but a life-transforming gift eternity shaking and transforming grace message the salvation of our souls and being saved from ourselves in order to be saved unto god and not only that when jesus came to serve others i mean we're talking about the creator of the heavens and the earth right he could have come as king, he could have come as a politician, he could have come as a rock star, I mean, he could have come as so many things. But he identifies his life-giving life, his ministry, this way. I did not come to be served. But to what? But to what? Jesus didn't come to be served, but to what? To serve. To serve other human beings. And to give his life as a ransom for many. And then maybe the last thing, or the second to last thing we'll talk about is to transform lives. I mean, who doesn't need a transformed life? The gospel is not only about saving you from hell, but saving you from yourself. 
which for a lot of people is the first experience of hell on earth that they're going to have. The good news is that you can, by God's power, be different. That you can begin becoming the human being that you were always meant to be. You are you and I am me. We have our personality, we have our looks, we have our bends and quirks and all these kinds of things. But all of us are having a transformed heart and soul in order that with the way that we look, and you being you and me being me, we have the character of Jesus. And that's what it begins to look like when the kingdom of God goes into a person's life. When God, it's, it's God's dream for a human being, you begin to look like Jesus. When God has His way as ruler and king, this is what his, his dream human being looks like. And we are being given the opportunity and power and privilege and blessing to experience that. To Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. <laughs> Our cup overflows. That through the night there may be mourning but in, you know, and, and sackcloth, but in the morning, dancing and joy. Paul writes to the church in Corinth and says, We all, the church are being transformed into His image, that is Jesus, with ever-increasing glory. Just each day, each week, each month, each year, we are given the opportunity to grow into the likeness of Jesus, more so and more so. And all of this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And then finally, it all boils down to this. As a church, you know, who are praying, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Jesus came to do the will of the Father. And sometimes that's, that's a very, very difficult thing to do because there are so many wills that are imposing on our own will. But let it be understood that Jesus, having suffered and being tempted in all those different ways that we are, came to do the will of the Father first and foremost. He says in John 6, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of Him who sent me. When you see Jesus, you are seeing what God is like. And Jesus turns his people into disciples so that when you look at a disciple of Jesus, you are looking at Jesus. And when you look at Jesus, you're seeing what God is like. Which means that in the way that we conduct ourselves and the character that is being built into our lives, that people should be able to get a hint of what God is like. Not that we are perfect, not that we have it all solved, but there should be an aspect of the character of God and the presence of God in our life that makes us distinguishable from everybody else in the world and it is distinguishable because of love and of grace and of joy and peace and generosity and all of the, the the million different ways that Jesus was different when he came to earth you know the mission continues today because although Satan has been defeated he has not been destroyed that will come at the final judgment Peter at the end of this general letter that he writes to the church basically says, you know, you're, you're a shepherd, sheep, the sheep are out there. He's kind of addressing the shepherds in the churches. He says, don't ever, ever, ever forget this fact. That Satan, the devil, is still doing his work. He is roaring and prowling around looking for sheep to devour. To devour. Now, if you're a sheep, the worst place for you to be is where? 
in the mouth of a lion. And what God is calling us to do in, in, in living our lives and doing as Jesus has done, what He is calling us to do is to help take the sheep out of the mouth of the lion that has gotten lost, has gotten misguided, has gotten mistaken. and Take, them, take the sheep out of the mouth of the lion because they're lost. And to take them back to the presence of where they're found, in the presence of the shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd. And our mission is to do and to speak and to live as Jesus spoke and lived and did for those 33 years that he lived. That's our mission, church. We continue what Jesus began. Ben, Come on up here. Let's stand and let's sing together.